One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we are going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, BFritz12 on DraftKings Twitter and in OWS Discord. And today I'm joined by Lex Morelli and Majestic. Guys, week 17, can you believe we're uh, one week away from the last week of the season? I know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's friggin' bizarre, man. I'm not excited to see like some of these like 17 game stats, you know, that are going to be posted around for like the quarterbacks and the receivers. Just because it's like it's just nonsense. Like I, it made no sense to add this game, and now it's throwing like all this stuff out of there. And I promise it's not just because I'm a Breeze fan. <laughs> I know you're going to be all over the the Twitter the Twitter year when the the 5,000 yard quarterback seasons are like basically going to be like moot like when guys are just going to start racking them up but yeah it's true though it's going to be it's going to be messy didn't didn't you tweet something about that you said like everything should be (laughs) per game or something but like at this point which I I think it it makes a lot of sense yeah I think you almost have to it's like they keep expanding especially if they end up getting like 18 like the league kind of wants I mean, you have to do per game. It, like, so they're just going to keep getting more. It's like people are already mad about 16 games for the 14 game like history, and now it's going to be thrown even more out of whack. But yeah, whatever. We can't change it now. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be weird. Well, for uh, yeah, any of you who are in your fantasy football championship game coming up this weekend, big uh, props to you. We were talking about that a little bit before we started here. I'm I'm uh, in one through my brother. Jess has got one coming up. Uh, so yeah, it's a, a big week for fantasy in a lot of ways. And just real quick, because it's a football podcast first, um, John Madden, eh? man, what a, what a legend. That's definitely crazy. like, yeah, I didn't obviously like, he's like outdates me, like where I wasn't necessarily listening to him, like, except for like when I was a kid and I probably barely knew what was going on. But like the video game, obviously, is like what I grew up with, you know, and like learning all the players and stuff. So that's that was the birth of the, my fantasy in NFL. Love. Yeah, I grew up listening to I'm like, I, I'm born in 76. So I've been listening to, to Madden from like the 80s and all that all the way through. I had the Madden games on <laughs> somebody uh, went in a group text uh, with my friends. He's like, yeah, I remember the first time I played Madden was at Jesse's house in 95. I was like, uh, I was but a wee little dot in the universe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I'm like right in between you guys. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, pour one out for for the man. With that, uh, yeah, why don't we? You guys ready to get into our games? Thanks. So. Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. Uh, so tonight on deck, we've got. Arizona at Dallas, Miami at Tennessee, and Detroit at Seattle. All right. So Arizona, Dallas, we've got uh, just, <laughs> I don't know. Did you guys watch that game? Like the, the Cowboys game where they just destroyed the football team? Like that was, 
wild to watch. And Dak truly looked like he was on fire. I'm, I'm definitely not like the biggest Dak fan by any means. I, you know, I think he's a good quarterback and everything, but um, man, he just looked completely unstoppable. And then uh, we got Arizona who just lost a pretty close competitive game to a solid Indianapolis squad. So I think this game will be kind of interesting to dig into and see what we can find here. So on the Dell, like, so let's start with the Dallas offensive side of the ball. Dak threw the ball 39 times, which, you know, we've talked about a handful of times on this podcast that the, you know, like Dak and the, the pass catchers have to rely on efficiency. And so this was a little bit different. Neither Zeke nor Pollard saw double digit carries. And then we had Amari Cooper and Dalton Schultz who accounted for like half of those targets. Um, so with that, are we expecting something similar this week? Do we think that was situational where they're really just ready to kind of try to blow that game out of the water from the start? Uh, Lex, I'll throw it over to you first. Do we think they're going to continue with this type of approach? Um, I don't know necessarily. I mean, it's when you have their complement of weapons, they really can choose how they would like to attack. And with Zeke being like banged up, you know, and like maybe that lends to them passing the ball more. But I mean, if we're going over the whole like season's worth of data at this point, like they're generally going to be a run first team and they're going to keep Dak's attempts down. I think he's only had like 250, like not 300, like 250 yards passing in six of the 14 games he's played. And in every one of those games, it's been like 29, 31, 44, 20, 35, 29, 43 to three, 33, 36. And then last week, 56 to 14. So it's either been a shootout or like two massive blowout wins by Dallas where they just put up like 40 plus points. So I think if you're betting on Dak, you're either betting on one of those, like you're betting on 30 to 40 points from Dallas's offense and like potentially scoring from the other side as well, which this game could set up like, um, we, you know, we like this a bit, although Arizona has been fading down the stretch a little bit without Hopkins and Dallas has actually had a pretty tough defense, but if you're building around this game, a high scoring affair, then yes, I think Dak is really interesting. I think that could, that could lead to a higher scoring game. I just looked to where it's like, I think 11 of the 15 quarterbacks against Arizona have scored two plus touchdowns. Um, Dak scored multiple touchdowns in most of his games this year. So like the matchup isn't like one to fear Arizona has been just kind of, I think middle of the pack in past events this year, if I remember correctly. And um, so I don't think it's like Dak is elevated into a spot where you're like guaranteed that he's going to have one of his higher pass total games, but this is the type of setup, you know, that we would normally expect, you know, Dak to throw a little bit more. Yeah. And this is one of the games I was targeting when I was drafting for best ball, thinking that this would be like one of those wild shootout games towards the end of the year. Um, coming down the stretch, I'm not so sure. I mean, the, the Cardinals defense, they've been good at limiting quarterbacks. They've been shutting down tight ends. Uh, they're shutting down the rushing touchdowns. Uh, Dak's bounce back last week was nice to see, and it kind of gives some hope that maybe we can get a bit of a shootout in this one. Um, it, the passing touchdowns, though, like Dak hasn't really been running them in like he has been before. And uh, Arizona's defense, they're allowing the fifth fewest DK points to quarterbacks and then kind of to add on to what you were saying about 11 quarterbacks have had multiple touchdowns. Well, only nine of them were multiple passing touchdowns and they've only allowed a multiple rushing touchdown game once. And that was to Sam Darnold. <laughs> so 
I don't know. Or that's uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of bouncing over the other side on that. But either way, I think Dallas and Arizona defense are good enough to kind of keep this one slow. And in fact, Arizona's up against the uh, second toughest DSR defense or actually, yeah, against Dallas there. So, and then kind of just looking at the, like kind of pulling the lens back on this, you've got two teams with playoff spots clenched. Uh, Dallas can still get the top seed, but Arizona, they've lost three in a row. And I found a stat today, Arizona seven and one when both Kyler and his center, Rodney Hudson are playing or both in the lineup and they're going to get, they should get him back this week. So that's going to help. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of interesting stuff on the Arizona side, as far as Dallas, I know we're starting with them first, but it's, I, I don't see this as a, a game where Dak's going to be able to do what he just did. I think this is kind of going to be a little more uh, a measured game between both sides on this because uh, Arizona's fighting for their lives a little bit. And both teams' defenses has gotten better from last year when they both played each other last year. And that was even a fairly low-scoring game. So it's going to be an interesting setup the, the way this game plays out. Lex, you're on mute. Whoops. All right. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, the tough thing about Dallas's offense this year is they've been really good like most of the year. And yeah, they still haven't produced like a ton of really good fantasy games. Like earlier in the year, Zeke was scoring a lot of touchdowns and he was getting enough yards to still have decent games, but he still wasn't like exploding off the, you know, the, I don't even know the word I was looking for, but he, you know, he wasn't like putting up massive scores and uh, even Pollard who's played really well all year. He hasn't put up like some big score. I think I have here like his, highest score where is it it's still only oh i guess he had a 26 point score but every other score other than that is like below 16 points and honestly he is a little bit more interesting to me than zeke here like i wish you could just peg one of them for more volume but arizona's defense has been really bad versus the run like all year long like you've seen the good rushing teams like just have their have their way with it but like jess mentioned too they've only allowed i think it's like six touchdowns or something like that's part of the problem. It's almost like the way the Patriots and stuff were, where they allow all this production on the ground, but then they're like really stout at the goal line. So like, if you're, even if they're allowing like Pollard or Zeke to rack up yards, like if they're clamping down in the red zone, that makes it really tough to put up like a half to have it score. Like even if they're able to get in once, like you're probably limiting them to just a, a solid day. So I guess my whole point here is like Dallas is just tough to trust. Like, especially if we're not totally sure about Dak's pass volume, even if we are in these games, like rarely has these have these receivers put up like really good scores when they're all playing together. Like Cooper finally had his first like really strong game with Dak. He had one with Cooper Rush, but his first strong game with Dak since week one. Like, and even that was like at barely over 20 DK points. Um, Lamb has like not done much of anything ever since his big game versus Atlanta in week 10. Like he's had like five straight weeks of just like solid games, but nothing that's nothing that would help your roster. Um, and I don't really know what you expect to change. Cause you've got three of these guys with Gallup in their back healthy now too. And it's just like, unless you're banking on one of them, getting like an exceptional amount of the target share in one game, which lamb is generally the guy that you would want to bet on in that sense. Like you're really just throwing a dart because that's the way it's been like for the last couple months with all of them healthy. Um, and the running back splitting as much as I was saying, I am excited about the matchup or Pollard. Like it's just, you're, you're splitting so much work that none of that, neither of them is putting up a score that helps you really. Yeah. The, the Dallas side, like I was expecting there to be something exciting about it, but it's all just kind of like nothing is really a top play. They just kind of got some interesting plays there. Um, I mean, it, the way they're shutting down tight ends, Schultz just had a, a big game last week, 
and they allowed 101 yards and a touchdown to Kittle. And that's pretty much the only thing Arizona's defense has allowed. So Schultz and the, the tight ends are kind of out of it with the only eight rushing touchdowns, two of them coming from Sam Darnold, kind of thinking that the, the running backs are a little bit out of it. So you do kind of have to roll the dice. Like if you're trying to play this game and betting on this as, as being an explosive game environment, I think that you, you kind of do have to bet on one of the wide receivers. I don't know if you need to bring uh, Dak into the picture, but it's just like, even then, like which wide receiver do you pick? Like, <laughs> I think one of them is probably going to have a good game. And I think they're all interesting and just getting the right one on your roster might be good for the week. Um, especially because I think there are some good pieces on the Arizona side. So if you were to build around this as a game environment, you can build with mostly Arizona offensive pieces or like a couple of Arizona offensive pieces and then bring back one of the Dallas wide receivers. Yeah. Then, I, I, sorry. sorry. One more stat. Uh, Arizona's defense has only allowed this or they've allowed the second fewest explosive passes. So that's another thing too. Like you're going to have to drive the field on them. And then that's where they're, they're kind of soft against the run. They, and like you're saying, with the Patriots, you have to drive the field against them, but then they clamp down in the red zone. Uh, unless you're Sam Darnold, you're not going to get more than one touchdown on them. Yeah. I just wanted to add like my last thing about Dallas offense. Like I wasn't trying to say like, obviously like, you know, this is a good offense and a good in like somewhat good environment. Um, like there are, like Jeff said, there probably is going to be a good play. I was just trying to say too, there's like, there's no high level of certainty plays. There's no blue chips, you know, in James player grid. Like, that's the problem with this Dallas offense, but he's, but he is right. Like if you're building around this game, you obviously want to attack Dallas players. You just, like I'm saying, just no, no one stands out you know, like in a really strong way. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we'll kind of hit on the other side of the ball here in a minute, but um, like with everything you guys are saying, once I had started looking into this spot a little bit more, getting ready for tonight, I was like, I think this game is actually going to be, you know, I think it'll be a good football game, but I definitely don't see, and of course there are paths to it, but I think the most likely path is it being kind of a, uh, just kind of like a, a very kind of consistent, normal pace game where both teams end up scoring, but I just don't see this as something that ends up being a, a barn burner, you know, just something that's where both it's a six, like a 60 plus point total in this spot. So I think for me, it's kind of interesting because, uh, I think a lot of people will target this game and will want to stack around it just because of the pieces involved and the, the teams involved. I think for me, for the most part, especially on the Dallas side of the ball, I'm just going to stay away <laughs> because I think that these guys end up underperforming relative to the expectations that the field has. And so I'll probably take my chances on just not going there. Um, you know, we've talked about it multiple times with the, the pass catchers on this side of the ball, like you were saying, Lex, they don't set up particularly well where they do set up better is on the ground and neither of those guys, because they're split, you know, the, the chances of them having a high ceiling game. So yeah, basically summarizing everything you guys said, I just, I totally agree. And for me, I, you know, unless something totally changes when building rosters this weekend, I highly doubt I'll have a Dallas player on my team. Yeah. I think with their distribution and with how their own defense, like on the other side of the ball has been playing um, and Arizona's offense struggling without Hopkins. Like, I just think that to play Dallas players, like you just really want to build around. Like, I don't see any of them as one-offs, I guess. 
Totally agree. Yep. Okay. Well, as long as we're talking about that, then let's flip to their side of ball, which you just alluded to. Dallas has a good defense. So Arizona doesn't really set up well to attack any area on Dallas. And as you guys both mentioned, they don't have DeAndre Hopkins, which obviously you're you're pulling out the best player, a generational player type of guy who uh, isn't there for other teams to worry about. So, Jess, I'm going to go to you first here because you had mentioned that you do have some interest in this side of the ball. Just from a high level, how do you feel about how they're going to approach this spot? Well, one of the anomalies, or I guess it's like a divergence or whatever, Dallas's defense is allowing the third lowest completion percentage, but they've allowed 55 explosive cast plays, which is tied for fourth most. Um, right now, I kind of pulled data on Kyler Murray because just on quick glance, I noticed his last three games have looked like trash compared to everything else he's been doing. And uh, he's, he's in a bit of an efficiency slump. He's had, and this is what what caught my eye was he's had more than 41 pass attempts over the last three games. All three were losses. So if Arizona's going to win this game, he's probably not going to be throwing it 40 times. Um, and looking at that, those stats between you know his first 10 games and then the last three, his completion percentage has gone down considerably, like about 11 percent, 10 percent touchdowns per games. So he threw 19 touchdowns through 10 games. He's only thrown two through three. Uh, in this little slump here, his yards per attempt has gone down two yards total, like a full two yards and his accuracy rating are all down. Um, and he's getting pressure. This is the main thing too. He's getting pressured at 18 pressures per game where he was only getting pressured nine times per game before that. And it's been generally coming up the middle. So that kind of goes back to that stat where when Rodney Hudson and Kyler Murray are both in the lineup, then they win more games. Um, and Dallas, so I kind of think this is a game where Murray's going to have to be crafty. He's probably not going to throw 40 something times, but I think they're, they're going to have to run him around, possibly, uh, get him on the move, like actually running the ball some too. uh, Taysom had 101 yards on the ground against, I don't think against the Cowboys, but I don't think, uh, the Cardinals are going to want to put Murray in that kind of situation, but they have allowed Hertz and Darnold each to run for 35 yards. Uh, Darnold had the two rushing touchdowns. I keep harping on that for some reason, <laughs> but it just kind of puts it to where, and then last year, Kyler Murray ran for 74 yards and a touchdown against Dallas. So I'm looking at Kyler probably getting most of his points to the ground here, which is what we want. We want to get those, uh, those rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. Well, actually you prefer the passing touchdowns if you're stacking because then you get the full 10 points instead of six. But anyway, Murray scrambling on the ground, doing that kind of stuff. But uh, where where I'm looking at, as far as if you want to stack players with them, Dallas has been pretty tough against slot receivers. They've allowed the fifth fewest points to the wide receivers that line up in the slot, but they allow the seventh most points to outside wide receivers. Um, they're pretty neutral against tight ends. And then I gave myself a chart, and it's I, you said you had to request access to my notes. I had the chart in the notes. You would have seen this. Um, Ertz is basically been Kyler Murray's go-to guy with Hopkins out and, uh, Christian Kirk is right, right there too. But I mean, Ertz last two games, he had a 30% target share, 22% target share. And actually Kirk had 24 in that game, but I think Ertz, and then, uh, he's going to probably end up, may end up throwing to the running backs a little bit too. Edmonds had nine targets last week. So 
I think Kyler on the move, Kyler running, Kyler going to Ertz and uh, running backs and possibly Christian Kirk. Kind of those are the pieces I'm looking at as far as like if I wanted to stack this game, if I'm betting on this, what is it, a 51 and a half total? So if I'm looking at a 51 and a half total and trying to figure out how to get there, I, I'm definitely looking at the, the passing game from Arizona's side. Yeah, just just hit on most of the stuff that you want to know, honestly. Like I, I don't have too much more to add because a lot of that would be similar things, but I really like uh ending on Ertz there just because I, I think Ertz is the best piece from this side in the passing game. Um, just with how Dallas has been against tight ends all year, with the target share Ertz has been getting. Um, Ertz had a nice game versus Dallas earlier this year when he was with Philly. Um I think the the interesting thing for Kirk is that he he does still play predominantly slot. The only game he didn't was when Green and Hopkins both missed. Um, Diggs is still playing mostly outside, and like he hasn't been like a matchup to avoid for fantasy anyway. But um, it's still nice to avoid like the better corner. Um, but again, even he though he's still put up. I think he only has three games of twenty plus DK points, and he had two touchdowns in one, one hundred four yards in the other, and a touch and ninety four and touch on the other. So like. He can get there with these nice games, but um, it's it's definitely less likely just because how much he relies on, on those like deep balls hitting. Um, but again, just said like Dallas has been prone to these explosive plays, so that that's interesting for him for sure. I'm not super interested in like Green or Wesley just because Green's honestly been worse with Hopkins out this year, like with better defensive attention on him, like he's just not been quite as strong. Um, and then Wesley and like Moore just don't do enough um, to be worth rostering. Uh, the running backs are interesting just because they both can do, you know, different things. Well, like Edmonds through the air, um, and Connor, like scoring, you know, touchdowns, the red zone, but Dallas has been really strong against running backs. They allow the third fewest DK points per game to running backs. Only two teams allowed fewer rushing, uh, running back touchdowns overall than Dallas. Uh, I, I just think that the spot does not set up really well. And if they're splitting usage, like it's going to be really tough for one of them to put up a score that helps you. So like, I, as much as I like those two players, I, I don't think the matchup sets up great for them. Um, but Connor is still questionable if he's game time. I'll have some interest in Edmonds. Like the matchup is still not great, but he's going to be still one of the most used players on this team. And if you're building around this game being high scoring, like he would be one of the biggest beneficiaries. He had a really nice game last week without Connor. Uh, so I do like that. But as of right now, Connor's, you know, still iffy. Um, there was something I was just looking. Oh, last year, uh, Kyler, this different defense and Arizona did win 38 to 10, but Kyler was nine of 24 versus Dallas defense last year. Um, he put up 74 yards and a touchdown rushing too. So like, I think that's a problem that's been dating back to last year for Dallas. Um, obviously a different coach, a couple different players, but it's still interesting that that was just last year. But, um, I don't have too much more to add. Just hit on like pretty much everything that you would need to know about this game. Um, I think we covered everything on both sides. Um, basically for this game for me is a build around game. If, if you like it, stack it, but um, with some of the interesting pieces, but like, I don't like one-offs from this game pretty much. All. I, except maybe Ertz. I think Ertz can have a nice game without, you know, you needing anything else from the game, I guess. Yeah. Which kind of perfectly leads into how, like all I was going to add was, yeah, I think he is the only standalone play the the most interesting play in this game to me because of you know kind of what Jess was saying about him just target share and all that um yeah they've they've been there been the go-to guy but yeah other than that like yeah I think Kyler is viable for for the reasons that Jess was saying but kind of back to what I was saying before too 
I just don't see him having a ceiling game in the spot. And I don't know what his price is, but like usually you're, you're paying up for Kyler decent amount. Uh, and so I don't know that I love that because it's a large slate too. So we got lots of options. Um, so he just doesn't jump off the page to me, Lex, what you were saying yes. about Connor and Edmonds. That's how I feel too. Uh, I was, I was bummed that I didn't play him on the, on Christmas because I actually really liked him going into that game. But then once I saw that Connor was like supposedly supposed to be good to go and then he didn't go and I wasn't, you know, ready for that. So yeah. And, and Leonard got ruled out too, like right before the game. Yeah. 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 It was just like perfect spot. So that hurt. Um, but yeah, in this spot, I just, yeah, same thing with the matchup and with these guys, Splitting the work again, kind of like the other side of the ball. It's like they both have a shot to have decent games and they could have a good game, but um, just, you know, not likely something that I'm going to try to to bet on. Uh, Lex, did you have something else? Yeah, I forgot to add one last thing. You, when you talk about Kyler, reminded me. Um, I actually do like the Dallas defense. Like, I think they're a little bit interesting just because Kyler has thrown a fair amount of interceptions and Dallas has 25 on the year, by far the most. Um, so I, I think that that's interesting. They also um, have one of the highest pressure rates this year, and that's with missing Lawrence for the majority of the year. And uh, Kyler has been eating sacks for pretty much all three of his seasons so far. Um, so I think that they're in a decent spot just because Dallas's offense, like if they're able to put up points as well, that would lead to Arizona needing to pass a lot, it puts Kyler in the situations, you know, turnovers. So I, I just think that they're an interesting defense as well. Just thought that was worth mentioning. Yeah, and then kind of just go back to what you said, Lex. I I do totally think that it's a build around game or pretty much leave it alone. And for me as like a single entry guy, or even if I'm throwing in like a couple lineups, uh, I just don't see myself going here at all this week because of the, I think it'll underwhelm at least relative to what the field expects. Uh, all right. You guys good there? Jess, did you have something else? Or are you good? Yeah, and I just want to add, it's the last game on the slate. Like, there's two 125 games, which is specific time for me. Um, and the other games in, in the late window are not that exciting. So I, you could see this as kind of a late swap opportunity. Um, and if, if you want to, since there are five games, like if you're building around this game and the rest of your lineup isn't looking good, then most of the ownership in the late window is probably going to come from this game and you can swap off of it. But I don't know. I just kind of think maybe this game might get a little uptick in ownership because of it being the late game. That's, that's actually kind of interesting if you're, because I like playing short slates. So for me, I might actually build on the late slate and not build around this game and just kind of be willing to bet on this game. Underwhelming, assuming that, like you said, you know, most people, if they're playing that short split slate, especially are probably going to be building around it. So that that's kind of interesting. Yeah. That's I love the late slate and doing exactly that fading the game. Everybody else is in. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to our next game here. We've got Miami at Tennessee, man, Lex, I hope you didn't watch that, uh, that, that full game. Cause that was, <laughs> I mean, how how bad you're on mute i mean you might want to be on mute for this segment maybe <laughs> but like man i just felt so bad for for book just like i mean dude had no chance i i'll say this like i i 
follow the Saints closely enough, like over the years, like I know pretty much every person that's going to get in the game at some point, like linemen or otherwise they're, they were so deep on linemen, like guys that they had to sign from the street in terms of death. Like I had, I had no idea who was even in the game blocking for the poor guy against like a Flores blitzing defense, you know, on national TV, no receivers to throw to. I mean, it was just absolutely brutal. Like I think it was just tough all around. I mean, the, the defense too was missing so many key guys. Like, um, yeah, no, it, it, it sucks that that might be the only start of his career too. Like, that's the kind of thing you think about. You're like, you know, this kind of guy is probably gonna be a career backup. He gets his one shot and it's like, throw. it's not like a normal shot of any kind, but yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I had to give him props though. He was like bouncing off the turf every time they took him down. I like, I was like, dude, <laughs> dude played his heart out. He just, <laughs> he had no chance. Just like one of those situations that is, yeah. So, so hard to see just cause it's, yeah, just not fair whatsoever. Um, all right. So we've got Miami who looked obviously really good in that spot with, you know, against, like you were saying, guys off the street, uh, AJ Brown had a, a blow up game in their big win versus the Niners on Thursday night. So kind of interesting spots. People have these fresh ideas in their mind. Jess is, Jess is shaking his head. <laughs> uh, I'm a Niner fan. We, we blew it. Jim oh, G, right. We I know you guys both had your drive. That scripted drive was like, nice. And then the second drive was like, okay, okay. And then he gets down, throws the interception. It was just all downhill from there. I actually, this these games were impactful for me as well because I played, uh, I played showdown on Thursday night and I, I was in one of the $5 huddles and it was a 356 person pool. And I would, I, I binked it until they changed the stat. <laughs> so I was in first place and they, they, so I was like, I was like on the couch with my wife and I like looked at my phone. I was like, Oh hell yeah. I was like all excited. And then like two minutes later, I looked back and I lost like half my winnings. I was like, what the hell just happened? And I saw that they changed it. I dropped to third. It was something with Jimmy G's score. Like I, I was watching it too. Cause I played it and I did pretty well. Let me see. What did I do? Debo. They Debo gained a point somehow. Probably one of those things where the all the passing and like rushing things with on those like toss plays are like probably get confusing. Yeah, but I don't yeah. know if they gave Debo like if like he initially didn't get a reception or something or like what it was, but like when I because I'd screenshotted my winning lineup and he had like thirty point one points or something, and then um, he finished at thirty one, and so I think it was everybody that had uh, like the, the people that had him in the captain spot, I had AJ Brown in the captain spot. So those people passed me with that. <laughs> so it, I think it was, it was due to the last play because Jimmy G was over 300 yards. And then that last play with all the laterals, they couldn't figure out what to do with it. At one point they ruled that like Jimmy G had like negative yardage on the play somehow. And they, it took him down to like 282 yards. And then eventually they got him fixed back up over 300. It might've been that Debo caught the first pass. I don't remember who caught the, the actual initial pass from the quarterback, but that's probably where his point might've came back from. And then, uh, but yeah, I, I did, I actually did well in that one. I had AJ Brown in my captain spot and took sixth out of, uh, it was one of the smaller red zone ones. Um, note, note to listeners. This is how little we want to talk about this next game. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're, we're talking Saints 49. Totally but yeah, let's get back on track. 
the the <laughs> ultimate stall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that we, yeah, we all found a way to stall here. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing going into this game, like high level for me is just like, is there, is there enough offense in this spot for us to get excited about with these teams that clearly have good defenses? Uh, so let's start on the Tennessee side of the ball where they set up better on the ground, which they're probably going to want to lean on because that's what they do. But now they have this, what looks to be a three headed backfield with McNichols back in. So you got him Foreman and Hilliard. So, I mean, Jess, I'll throw this right back to you here. I mean, is any, uh, any running back viable and uh, who, who is viable on this offense, given how we think that they're going to have to play versus Miami. Okay. Well, first of all, we've got the Tannehill revenge game narrative going here. He's getting his dolphins. Uh, coming to is this game in Tennessee? Yeah, in Tennessee. So he gets a home game against his old team. Uh, he's the running back to own, by the way. Uh, I'm not touching the three-way committee because they're all <laughs> Foreman, uh, Hilliard, and McNichols. They're all getting carries, targets, um, and Tanny is actually the the red zone guy. Like he's going to be the one. He's got seven rushing touchdowns, which is the second most this year behind Hurts. So if, if they get inside like the 10 yard line, five yard line, then Tannehill's more than likely the one who's going to score the touchdown. Otherwise it, t- it does tend to be uh, Foreman, but that's, that's a hard bet to make when the yards and the, the targets are being so spread out all the way up until that point, you're kind of having to bet on Foreman getting two touchdowns or somehow busting a really big touchdown run and getting a hundred yards and a touchdown, that kind of thing. So, and then the other thing that we got, on here is we've got uh COVID list guys. So you got Julio and uh, Westbrook Aquina on the COVID list, which I mean, Tennessee's offense was narrow as it was. So you've got a three-way committee at running back. You've got a three-way committee, more of a two-way committee, but somewhat of a three-way committee because uh, Pruitt still gets involved occasionally at tight end. So you, we're really down to AJ Brown and Ryan Tannehill for, for the offense for Tennessee and with it being that condensed, I, I actually think they're both interesting plays um, as far as, and one more thing on the running back is Miami's defense has allowed the four fewest DK points to running backs. So that's just kind of one more reason to throw the, throw those guys out. But um, the, the, the total on this game is ugly and Tennessee has been playing 20 point games. So it's going to be, you know, 20 to 17, 20 to 19, something like that, 21 to 20. But we probably can count on the majority of the yards coming from A.J. Brown in the passing game, which is also going to be Tannehill. And then probably some rushing yards, probably not a whole lot, but maybe a rushing touchdown from Tannehill as well. Um, I would have to look at his price. I don't know that I'm necessarily interested in him because, like you said earlier, this is a 14-game slate. We've got a lot of options. But, okay, 5,900, I don't know. I, I still haven't gotten to the whole whole slate view yet but just as we're going through and taking notes on this game i've got him listed as an interesting play and i do have aj brown listed as a top play um and then kind of a thing to look at too with uh, miami's defense is they do run a lot of cover zero more than most teams in the league uh they have the second highest blitz rate second highest pressure rate and the most sacks in the league so Tannehill is going to be forced to get the ball out quick and what better run after catch guy to throw it to than aj brown um, and Miami is basically, they're allowing the most 
slot wide receiver targets at 9.2 and Brown is lined up in the slot 28% of the time this year. And he was in the slot quite a bit in, in that uh, San Francisco game too. Like they kept moving him in there. So watching what he just did and what the defense he's coming up against, I, I really do like AJ Brown as one of the top plays on the slate this week. Uh, all right. I guess I'll just, I'll keep going with Brown just really quick to add on to that. Cause yeah, Brown's in a really nice spot. So in Brown's three games this year with 10 or more targets, Julio has played 43%, 0%, and 50% of the snaps. So I think he left too early in two of those. Um, and Brown in those games went for 8, 133, and 1, 10, 155, and 1, 11, 145, and 1. So he's absolutely crushed in those games with the 10 targets. Um, and then Miami allows more DK points per game than all three of those defenses that he did against. Uh, so obviously he's going to just command a huge target share. He had 69% of Tannehill's yardage last week. Like that's just absurd. Um, and his first game back. So he's in a really nice spot. Miami obviously has like a couple of nice corners, but yeah, they're still allowing like eighth most wide receiver yards on the fifth most uh, targets faced. Um, I don't have much more to add on Brown, but on the running backs, yeah. Foreman would be interesting to me. I think he's the most likely to be like the lead dog in a scenario where Tennessee just kind of controls the game from the start and is in the lead like all day. But like Jess said, him being a yardage and touchdown back and seeding other touches as well to two other guys, like it makes it really tough. Miami has not allowed a running back touchdown in the last eight games. Like, so a guy that needs touchdowns is just, it's going to be really tough for him. I'm not interested in Foreman because of like all of that. Uh, yeah. Tannehill's interesting. Um, if you think it's going to be like a game, that's a little bit more high scoring. I've been, I've basically had the same thing in Tennessee's matchups, like since the beginning of the year, where if you're playing Tannehill on the expectation that he's scoring like 20 plus DA points, you're basically uh, six of the 10 games combined for over 60 points and eight of them, Tennessee scored 30 plus. So like you need Tennessee to be putting up points and most likely in a shootout. Uh, Tennessee is only the highest they've scored or the most points they scored without Henry is 23. So like they've really struggled on offense um, since losing Henry. Now granted they haven't had Brown for a lot of that either, but now they're down like Julio and Westbrook and offensive line issues. So that, that kind of worries me a bit. Um, but yeah, Miami's not like the most daunting matchup. Like they've obviously faced like a incredibly easy schedule of quarterbacks during their winning streak. Um, so it's not like one that I would fear, but at the same time, like with the limited weapons and everything, um, I'm, I'm a little worrisome of Tannehill and he hasn't had the best season um, for fantasy, but uh, I, I do like the idea that just saying in terms of stacking them, especially because Tannehill has rushing upside as well. So you're, you could be ten, you know, potentially capture all of their points through uh, Brown and, Tannehill if it goes that way. Yeah. And I don't know how much you want to play up the narrative. So it, it is possible. And the, especially the way these two teams line up too. both of these teams are forcing 37 throws per game. Both of these teams are super tough against the run. So this game could not shoot out, but this game has a, a higher likelihood of turning into a passing game than what it's being implied right now, just because of, of the defenses and what's going to be available. Um, and so even though Miami's forcing a lot of pass pass attempts, um, they've allowed the fifth lowest completion percentage, but they're like Dallas they're, They also have that divergence where they have a low completion percentage, but somehow you got 55 explosive plays. So they're tied with Dallas for fourth most on the explosive pass plays. So that's somewhat interesting to me. And, and that's kind of where 
if you tie the the Tannehill narrative to the way the defense is run, he's going to have to get the ball out quick, get it to somebody that can run after the catch and make explosive plays. That that's basically AJ Brown. So I'm kind of back to what I just said in my last segment is I I really do like AJ Brown for the slate as a whole. I like Tanny in this game. Um, He's, he's at least on my peripheral for the slate, just based on the research so far. Can you believe that AJ Brown saw 16 targets last week and the next highest target total was three. Like that, like a 13 target differential has to be a record. I mean, I don't even know how you go about looking something like that up, but like that's got that's it was just so ridiculous when I was looking through the box score. Um, yeah, I mean, I think everything you guys said, it's it's totally for me, AJ Brown or bust here. Like there's just there's nobody else on this offense that I'm interested in. I don't really even like Tannehill here just because like I I am always interested in narrative spots, um, but I just, I don't know. I, I just feel like his likelihood of going over 300 is so low and he could get a, a running touchdown, but uh, I guess, you know, even, even at the, the price he's at, I just don't see a, a path for him to like have like a, a really, really nice game. I don't think he's um, a bad play, just like not the, not where I would be going probably, but it's, it is really hard to see Brown having a completely disappointing game. Again, hard to say like in a vacuum, especially on like a large slate like this, um, or hard to say in the context of a slate in a vacuum though, I would say that, uh, AJ Brown's definitely going to at least make my player pool. So just to rattle off some more, like if we do want to kind of take the ways Tanny can fail, uh, Tennessee has the fifth worst net past DVOA matchup of the slate. They have the worst net adjusted sack rate matchup of the slate. Miami defense uh, uh, forcing the fourth most, fourth most pass attempts, but the fifth lowest com- completion percentage and the fifth fewest touchdown passes. So there are definitely ways that Tannehill can fail in this game. Uh, he's interesting, and that's about it, it, it for right now on that. But I just wanted to rattle off some stats too because it's not a great matchup. I feel like it's hard to have a ceiling game when you only have one receiver. <laughs> like <laughs> he just has like no legitimate targets. I think Julio coming back would be interesting, but still not something that I would get like super excited about. All right. So flipping to the other side of the ball, we've got a, a similar setup where just like, you know, defensive matchup is tough. Uh, the run game is a complete mess on the ground between their ability to block and the guys that they have running the ball. Waddles looked really good, continued to look good. Devontae Parker didn't even see a target. Uh, last game was covered by uh, Marshawn Lattimore. Thoughts on what we can expect in this spot here. Lex, I'll have you start off how, how do we think Miami's going to attack? Do they have a chance to rack up points? Is it through Waddle? What is that going to look like? Sorry, muted again. Uh, I think they should be attacking more to the air just because Tennessee's been really strong on the ground all year. Um, they've been solid pass teams as well. They've just been kind of a um, better than expected defense this year than, than everyone you know expected going in. 
Um, but Tua's biggest problem is that even in these higher attempt games, like he's only top 20 DK points five times in 18 career games, like that he's played in full. Um, and his highest was uh, 31. So he had a nice, like he had a 31 and a 28.5, like two really nice games, but all the other ones were like in the low twenties. So like, it's just been really tough for him to have these games that help you win tournaments. Um, especially with his low dot, you're just basically hoping that these guys can like get in the end zone three times. Um, I do think Waddle's like interesting for sure, just because Tennessee allowed the most, uh, or second most wide receiver DK points last year. They're allowing the second most wide receiver DK points this year. 10 wide receivers this year have scored 20 plus DK points against them. Um, they've allowed 17 touchdowns to wide receivers. They've allowed the most uh, yards and catches to wide receivers, most targets faced. Um, all of that is to say, I, I think Waddle and Parker are both interesting here. Um, they, It's been tough for Parker when they've like played together just because he hasn't been the one scoring the touchdowns and he's not getting quite as many targets. Um, but Waddle has obviously got the shorter a dot and you need him to just kind of rack him up. And then if he gets in the end zone, it might end up being a good day. If he didn't, it's just like a solid game that doesn't actually help you win the tournament. Um, but he's rarely going to like kill your roster as well too. Although I think I just saw too, he's been priced up a lot higher than he used to be. Now I think he's at 6,700 I just saw. So good matchup for him, um, which I think you can save the same thing for Parker and Parker's obviously going to be drawing a lot less ownership coming off that clunker versus the saints. Um, so I do think that some of those guys in the passing game, um, uh, I guess we get to get sick or something. I don't have many good things to say about him, but, um, I'm not that big of a fan of Tua. This is like, I'll close my thoughts here. Like Tua is just not showing a great fantasy ceiling. And like, I used to be higher on him, but like it just game after game and just the, the style of play that he's playing right now, especially with the state of that offensive line, they're just not, he's never going to have enough time for these bigger plays downfield. It seems like. So I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in him, but I do think that the offense as a whole can be successful to the air with um, Waddle or Parker and Gusecki too, I guess, if you go that route. Yeah, uh, Waddle's, his target shares have been ridiculous lately. Like he had 46%. We talked about what AJ Brown did last week. Jalen Waddle pretty much did the, just did the same thing. And Parker, he was in the worst matchup. He had uh, Lattimore and uh, the outside corners on him, which is kind of where the saints have been taking away receivers on the outside and kind of forcing you to throw to your slot. And they were moving Waddle all over the place. He was in the backfield. He was all over. So I think that's kind of, that's basically where Tua wants to go with the ball. I'm also in agreement. I'm not playing Tua. Um, he's only attempted 33.9 passes in the nine games that he started and finished Miami. Uh, they're netting the fifth worst yards per drive matchup as well. And I mean, there's kind of more things like the, the whole way that this game sets up. You have two playoff teams with two old school coaches like Miami's the seven seed right now. Uh, both play strong run defense, but both teams are still going to try and run the ball just because that's what they do. Uh, they're both great at milking the clock. Both of them have uh, outpossessed their opponent for, let's see, Miami in the last five straight. Um, and then. Tennessee has outpossessed their opponent since their bye week until last week when the 49ers beat them by 31 seconds in time of possession. So that's going to suck a lot of plays out. But then at the same time, these are the, these teams allow the sixth and seventh most pass attempts against, um, or no, Miami was fourth. Sorry. Uh, but it's just, there's, there's not a lot to like on the Miami offense outside of Waddle. That's basically where Tua wants to go. And if he's not there, then he'll throw it to either uh, Smythe or Gesicki at, at the tight end spot or check it down to Gaskin. Like he's not really, 
looking all over the place for guys. I do kind of think Parker is interesting because he has had uh, with Tua at quarterback, he's had a 26%, 28%, and a 30% target share. And that 30% target share was in the game that Waddle missed. But the other two, the, the 28% tied Waddle in one week, and then the 26% was, I believe, week one. So obviously, rookie in his first game, you're going to throw to the veteran more. But with the way Tennessee defends, I, I do kind of like both of these guys. I got Waddle more in the like top plays for the slate, or at least middle of the, the range for the slate plays. And then I've got Parker as, a, as an interesting play for the slate and this game. Um, obviously, this is not a game you want to stack up. This is probably a game that you might want to just pick Brown from, maybe correlate him with Waddle if you want to, or correlate him with Parker. But I think this is kind of a game where if you're dipping into it, you're just going in here for some one-offs. And I think at that point, you're just looking at A.J. Brown and Jalen Waddle. Yeah, I like that call in terms of like how you're playing this game. And you guys both kind of hit on my favorite play from this game, or this side of the ball, which is Devontae Parker. Uh, not that I'm, you know, super excited or really high on him or anything like that, but uh, just as a play off of Jalen Waddle, he's been playing well. He just played really well on national TV, but uh, I forgot who said it. One of you guys mentioned that like, if he doesn't score a touchdown, his day is really only so, so. And so if, you know, then a touchdown happens to go to Parker or Parker does happen to hit what for one of his bigger plays, he could end up being the the better play there. Uh, definitely. I don't know. I don't like Waddle at that increased price. I think people will continue to play him. I don't think he's a bad play by any means. I think, you know, he had his floor is just so solid and he is obviously the go-to guy, but just my style of play. I don't like to play a guy who is going to be popular, who has seen his price go up. I would rather completely stay away or, or play a guy like Parker who has a, a better than expected chance to, to have a good game in this spot. But that's, that's all I got for, for this side of the ball. Totally agree with what you guys said about Tua. Uh, yeah. I, I really don't see anywhere else to go on this side of the ball. And to support the Parker one, Tennessee's defense is allowing the fifth most outside wide receiver points um, and the third most outside wide receiver targets. I mean, they're, they're also allowing a lot to the slot too but it's just showing that there is a path for Parker to have a good game in case you do want to play the game theory where everybody else jumps in on Waddle and you're over there with Parker getting all the points. How much, how much cheaper is Parker? Do you know? 52. Yeah. By so, 1500. Yeah. So 1500 is a pretty, that's a pretty substantial gap there too. So that's a kind of a nice leverage play. Cause you would get those, those points if that indeed happened and you would have more salary to play with. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting leverage play from a uh, terminant perspective. All right. Yeah, I'm giving this cause I don't, I don't think the running backs are worth talking about. Tough yeah, that's too a, much, too I wasn't much even going to give a mention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're good. Right. We're good. All right. Yeah. I, the last note on that is I had, uh, for, for my brother's team that I drafted for redraft, uh, Gaskin was one of my, my later, you know, one of my last running back picks and, oh man, <laughs> just brutal. They just seem to have soured on them. That line is just so bad. It's just like such a terrible setup. 
All right, on to our last game for the pod. Uh, so we've got Detroit at Seattle. Two teams who, you know, I feel like we get to the spot and it's just like, ooh. <laughs> uh, these, you know, two teams who have just been a really kind of a complete wreck. But these defenses can't stop anyone. So we're always a little bit interested in spots like this. And these are two relatively narrow offenses who have showed a bit of spunk here towards the end of the season, or, you know, like in the Seahawks case, they have guys who can make plays. So it's kind of exactly the type of game that fits this, this third and final spot for us on this pod. So starting on the Seattle side of the ball, we've got Rashad Penny, who has been kind of a bright spot on this Seattle offense, who has just been incredibly underwhelming and disappointing this year. And he obviously gets a good matchup versus the poorest run defense of the Lions. So I think with this, let's let's start with Penny and how Seattle is most likely to attack here and the success that we expect them to have. Jess, I'll throw it to you first. Um, I, I don't really have much else to, to add other than the, the, the data points. Like Detroit's allowing the fifth most running back rushing points per game. Seattle has the fifth best net rush DVOA matchup, and Detroit defense allows the fewest targets per games to running backs. So who is that? That's Rashad Penny. <laughs> they don't really throw to him. They just hand him the ball. And apparently uh, I saw that they just put uh, Adrian Peterson on the practice squad IR, and apparently he made a really big impression on Rashad Penny. So I don't know what he told Penny, but like once they gave Penny his opportunity, he's been he's been taking it. So none of the other guys are really stepping up. Like if they're going to throw it, they're going to throw it to Dallas or DJ Dallas. But I, I think Penny's got, uh, he's in a great spot here. Detroit, they, they want you to run basically. They're like, hey, you, you can do whatever you want to Detroit for whether you pass or run. But I, I think Penny is in a really good spot here. Um, the thing I worry about with Penny is, is I, I would love to love Russell Wilson in the passing game in this, but with the way these two teams, these are another two old school coaches teams. They're going to, they're going to want to run the ball. Um, so if Penny's having success, then that's going to take away from the passing game. So basically if you're playing this game one way or the other, you have to think about that. If you're, you're playing Penny, then don't play any of the passing pieces. If you're playing the passing pieces then you're basically betting on Penny, not hitting or whatever it is, but yeah, uh, it, it is a good spot for him. Basically, running backs versus Detroit has been kind of one of the go-tos this year for DFS. Sorry, I keep muting myself. Uh, I think he'll be popular, which is like what will make this game interesting to think about just because he is in a good spot. He's gotten uh, 16 and 17 carries in the last two of the last three games. And he put up like a hundred some yards in both. We know as long as Pete Carroll's there, they're going to want to run. Um, the biggest issue with him is like, he's a yardage and touchdown back right now. Um, so he's, even though it's a really good matchup where that's an expectation that he might be able to do that. Um, that's still tough to eat when you're at higher ownership. Um, when you have a guy that that's like his only way path to success. Um, but you know, it's just about building smart rosters and like figuring out, you know, if you're putting them on there, like how you're building elsewhere. But, um, yeah, I think, I think he's in a good spot. Like, there's nothing bad to say about the matchup and his usage has been solid the last couple of weeks. It's more just, um, just know if you're putting him on that roster, you're probably betting on two touchdowns going through him. Um, so that would just be my thoughts on the run game for that at least. Yeah. And that's kind of 
I think Jess was saying too, and that's kind of the way to play it is you're either betting on Penny or you're going to try to leverage that and go the other way with the pass game. Uh, one of the notes to kind of lead us into the pass game. I I'm interested in the pass catchers to leverage Penny in this spot. And I like one in particular, uh, but Russ is not cooking indeed not cooking. So he, you know, he's definitely uh, not anywhere near my pool as you guys kind of alluded to. If this team was a, a different team or had a different mindset, Russ would be interesting in this spot. I think the only, you know, I guess he could potentially be viable if you were building that Detroit gets out to a two or, you know, 17 point lead or something like that. Uh, so, you know, we'll get to if that's even possible, but I think that's the only, or, you know, definitely really the only way that Russ would be viable, probably not somewhere I'm going, but just wanted to at least mention that, but Jess, I'll throw this to you now. Thoughts on the passing game? You had mentioned a little bit about this as well. Um, Lockett, Metcalf, what are you thinking there? Well, I like Lockett. So the Lions defense has lost a few starters over the past couple of weeks. Uh, inside linebacker Anzalone, outside linebacker Trey Flowers is kind of their pass rusher. And they've lost two starting corners. So you can kind of pick which way you want to pick on them. And those two, two starting corners going down and they've already lost their, their number one draft pick to uh, Huda. So the, the secondary is a nice place to, uh, to want to pick on them. The only problem is Seattle projects for the second fewest pass attempts this week. They're throwing the ball 29 times. Uh, Detroit's only let, uh, like basically forcing you to pass on them only 32 times. So we're looking at about 31 attempts here for, for Russell Wilson. Now he's, he's been efficient in the past. He usually is efficient and you can hit on those big plays. And I was kind of going through some of uh, Warren Sharp's webpage, the Sharp stats and Detroit is just, it's like 130 something QD rating to the deep middle of the field. And that's where Tyler Lockett usually works. So I really do like Lockett in this spot if he can hit on a couple of those big plays because he's he's done it in multiple games this year. And this has been one of his more consistent seasons as far as being able to, to have good production outside of just three games like he normally will. He'll play like three or four games where he just blows up and then the rest of the year, you don't really hear from him. He's kind of been a little more consistent this year. So I do like him in this spot. The Detroit defense allows the highest ADOT defensive ADOT in the league, the fourth most air yards per game and the most air yards per completion, but they force the third fewest pass attempts per game. So it's like, we, we keep finding these diversion games where it's like these defenses, they're, they're going to let you go big on them if you do it, but that nobody's really doing it because they don't have to, they're able to run the ball or find other ways to do it. So I do like this spot for Lockett. I've got him as my, He's on my radar for the, the entire slate. I've got Russ and DK as like interesting plays from this game, and I'll compare them to the rest of the, the slate as well. But Lockett is definitely on my radar. Yep, I like Lockett for the same reasons. The Detroit's allowed third highest yards per attempt, and then everything Jess said about the high dot suits uh, Lockett really well. Uh, Metcalf has basically been unplayable since Russ came back, and he's dealing with his own foot injury, so that's just like, in combination, like it's just been a terrible for him for fantasy and production overall this year. Uh, so I, 
you know, he's theoretically a way to go, you know, especially if Lockett's more popular and Penny's more popular. Like, but I just, right now it's really tough to see, like, he's just not getting a much usage and like, even in his best games in his career, like he's really putting, you know, up a score that's like puts you out of reach. You know what I mean? So he's probably a guy I just avoid. Um, I don't have much else to say like about, I think you guys covered everything about that. I else what I would say about like Russ and Lockett and everything. They don't really have many other guys to talk about. Um, Everett's had like a couple of nice games, um, recently. Um, but even his usage is kind of tough to trust. Um, Pitts did just have like one of his best games against Detroit last week. Um, if Metcalf is still being really just slowed, um, Everett's probably the second guy, you know, the guy that Russ looks to after that. Um, but if you have a Detroit team that's, you know, facing so few pass attempts, like that really puts Everett's margins, like in a really tough spot. Like it's, he's either scoring or he's just not putting up anything for you most likely because he's just not going to get enough targets in this kind of environment. Yeah. Lockett is pretty interesting here. Jess, you had kind of mentioned it too. He just, he had a really nice stretch of games before the, the dud against Chicago last week, uh, 18 and a half, 12.6, 19.8, 30.2, which for Lockett, he's been kind of boomer bust in the past. So to see those, kind of like stable scores was interesting. Definitely hear what you were saying, Lex, about Metcalf. On the flip side, though, what was interesting to me is that he has seen eight-plus targets five out of the last seven games, but has done absolutely nothing with them. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. In four of those seven games, he had single-digit points, And in three of the other games, he had either 11 or 12 points. So he has done just next to nothing. Um, I guess as we're talking through games here, I'm kind of seeing how I'm going to play this week. It sounds like I might go big or go home. Um, but, but Metcalf is interesting to me. If you're, you're playing a guy off of ownership, you know, you're playing off of penny, you think you might get a couple red zone targets and, and Metcalf might get two touchdowns instead of Penny getting them. So I, I definitely, you know, it's definitely not a high likelihood play, but you know, if you want to get a little bit crazy in tournaments, uh, you know, Detroit can't guard that either. Um, so yeah, it's not necessarily that things point to it. It would more just be betting that kind of betting against the field that the touchdowns would go his way instead. And that's basically it. Like you were saying the the eight or more targets and then the games that he had uh, less, he had single digits, but he's also had uh, 22 points on six targets and 26 points on five targets, but those came from uh, two, two touchdown games. So it, it is a way to leverage the field. And this is, this is actually kind of my favorite game stack for the late slate. I'm already looking at uh, the afternoon slate and how I'm going to attack that. And I really do like uh, stacking Russ to pass catchers, and then we're going to get to him on the other side. But I really do hope uh, Swift plays because he's set up really well in this game as a pass catcher. Um, if we can get th- get through him possibly being a three-way committee, but I think he's going to be the, the pass catcher of the three running backs once we get to that side. Yeah, I think with that, why don't we why don't we take that to the other side? Because that is interesting with him potentially coming back. Obviously, we're getting golf back. Uh, and then we've got Amon Ra St. Brown, who is 
been looking like the real deal. So how do we feel about these guys? Let's consider that Swift comes back. Let's kind of talk about it from that angle. I'm really hopeful. You know, I've talked a little bit here and talking pre-pod about my my brother's redraft team that's in the championship. We've got Swift. So <laughs> hoping that he's he's back and ready to go. Um, I'll just go right back to you here, Jess. Uh, thoughts on on Swift if he's back and what you like there. All right. Well, Seattle allows the most running back receiving points by nearly two points, like they're 1.9 above the next team. Uh, they allow the third most running back targets per game at 8.2. Um, and they just, it just sets up well. Like the, the defense has allowed the second most pass attempts, like Seattle defense has allowed the second most pass attempts, completions, and yards, and the most yards after catch. And it comes with the third shallowest A dot and the third shallowest air yards per completion. So again, that's pointing me to these guys that are the underneath pass catchers. They're going to catch the ball and run with it. And that's going to be DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown. We also got uh, two players on the COVID list currently. Uh, guys are coming off faster now with the new protocols. So keeping an eye on Josh Reynolds and Brock Wright. Brock Wright especially because they're already down TJ Hawkinson. And if they're down to just, uh, I think it's Zolstra or Shane Zolstra or something like that, if they're down to just him at tight end, then that, that to me is another way for Swift to eat because it's going to be basically Goff's going to drop, drop back and which, uh, which one of his two Swift or St. Brown is open. That's where he's going with the ball. So I, I like both of these guys in this game, um, especially Swift because he's come down to 6,000. He was 6,300 last week, didn't play. DK dropped his price another 300 and he's in a better matchup in my opinion. So I like it. Um, we're looking at a possible three-way committee. We had Williams return last week. He played just one more snap than Craig Reynolds. So playing time is going to be an issue. Um, I don't know how much they they're trying to get out of Reynolds and Williams and Swift coming down the stretch. Also with Swift coming off injury, like uh, the coach said that, that, he, they're going to shut him down after the season. So it's like, well, does that mean you're going to ride until the wheels fall off for two weeks? Like, what is the plan here? Like, that's kind of how I might be interpreting that is that he's like, you know what? No, we want to see what Swift can do for our team. Cause he's, he's just seen what Craig Reynolds can do for the past few weeks. Uh, Williams comes back. They don't even target him. Uh, Reynolds, uh, Craig Reynolds, not Josh had four targets to Williams zero ran 16 routes to Williams zero. And the fullback had four routes and two targets. So to me, Williams is not going to factor in as a pass catcher. And when Swift comes back, he's going to be the number one target from the running back position other than the, the fullback that seems to sneak in and get a couple of targets per game as well. Um, so I, I'm kind of looking at that and trying to solve that question. Is, is he going to step right into a primary pass catching role? Probably not have to get a lot of the, the wear and tears, the running back or like with the carries. So he's kind of the opposite back of Penny in this spot, whereas he's probably not going to get a ton of yards. He's not going to get a ton of carries, but, you know, can we get six catches for, you know, 65, 70 yards and a touchdown at 6,000? That gets you to about 3X salary. And then if he gets two touchdowns, then he's, he's blowing that out of the water. He's up to about 4X. So basically with him being, yeah. $6,000, every touchdown is a 1X on his score. So you get two touchdowns six catches, six yards or 60 yards. That's, you know, six times four, 24. Uh, I, I think this is a good spot for him to, to possibly hit that. 
And then even then, Seattle allows the ninth most running back rushing points. So if he does get a couple of carries, maybe he breaks off a big one and gets some points that way too. But he's kind of him and uh, St. Brown are are the offense for the for the Lions coming down the stretch here. That's that's who I'd be looking at. Yep, it's a dream matchup, you know, for a Swift type player who d- does so well through the air. Um, just with Seattle being so weak in that area, um, I think for me a lot of it will be like ownership, like if Swift's popular, then you probably just are better off looking elsewhere, like either on Detroit or just in different games, just because of all that uncertainty that just mentioned with the through potential three-way committee. But if people are, are uncertain and the ownership stays low, then that's a spot like where all the positives just mentioned, just mentioned as a way to like attack the spot um, in a really nice matchup. And you're basically betting on him getting, um, you know, the majority of that usage. Uh, so I, I think that that's kind of how I'm thinking about that situation. Um, St. Brown, um, he's getting so many targets and he's playing so well of late that he's, you have to like consider him. Um, he's still cheap enough where he's interesting. Um, but Swift's Swift coming back could eat into his target share a little bit just because of how many short area targets St. Brown has been getting without Swift and, uh, Williams do playing, but, uh, they also just lost Josh Reynolds. Um, potentially he's on the COVID list. So like even more targets could just be filtered to St. Brown anyway, even with Swift coming back. So. I think you have to keep in mind Seattle's been struggling versus slot receivers. So like that keeps him in, you know, in there, uh, his last few games, like he's had a really solid floor. Like, so basically it's, if he scores a touchdown or not is what gets you that really nice score. If he doesn't score then he's just, he's not killing you, but he's not like helping you really either. So I would just keep that in mind. You're basically uh, like most players that you put on your roster, you're, you're hoping that they score. Um, but him, you know, is that's a big part of what, um, how successful he can be for your roster. Uh, I don't think there's much else to talk about, you know, with Hawkinson, you know, still being done and, you know, Swift being the only real running back you'd want to play. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't have any more thoughts. I think Jess covered everything about Swift that you need to think about. Well, and as far as the, the slot goes too, Seattle allows the fifth most slot wide receiver points and the third most slot wide receiver targets. And without a tight end, if they're down, you know, scrubs at tight end and Seattle allows the fifth fewest outside wide receiver points. So basically teams are just kind of throwing the ball into the middle of the field, throwing shallow, you know, to the running back, to the tight end, to the slot. So without a tight end, that, that just means that the only guys available and who are the best players on the team right now is going to be St. Brown and Swift. Jess, did you say this is a late game? I didn't even look. Yeah, it's an afternoon game. It's in Seattle. It's, it's the other 125 game. Oh, there's three 125 games. I think I said two earlier. So this one, uh, Arizona, Dallas, and Carolina, New Orleans is a one twenty-five game for some reason. Sorry, I'm Pacific time. Those are four twenty-five games. Let's say, yeah, four twenty-five over here. Um, but so the reason I ask that is, I because you had kind of mentioned this earlier too, potentially playing. You know, if you're going to play Russ and a pass catcher or two. I think that you could bring that back with the block of St. Brown and Swift and you pretty much get all of Detroit's production. And I, I mean, I really don't think, and this is sh- so speaking of short slate, like I really don't think it's uh, ridiculous. I mean, I guess you could even play that in like large field main slate with, but um, I don't think that's a ridiculous bet to make with those other two games that could potentially be more defensive, slower paced. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting for me for, for short slate. And then just in general, 
you guys both kind of said like St. Brown definitely at least has to be in consideration based on his usage and, you know, the, the main target swift coming back will be interesting if he indeed does. I'm hopeful that if he's playing, that means that like he's a full go type of situation. Um, who knows <laughs> at this point, like you said, that was kind of a, a nebulous statement made. It's kind of, and this is where knowing who you are as a DFS player is important because for me, that's just kind of like one of my signature things is I'm going to play a guy off of injury and just, you know, try to, uh, a guy, a good, you know, a player like Swift who has the ceiling. I think that price is really reasonable if he does indeed get a, a lion's share, no pun intended of the carries. Um, so, so yeah, I think I would. I am going to be really interested in that spot if he does come back and uh, yeah, maybe just try to catch people in uncertainty. But I think Lex made a really sharp point there. If he is indeed popular, then maybe you don't pull a trigger on him just because it could potentially be, you know, all the other things. It could be a three-way backfield and stuff like that. And I would say watch the weather. I didn't pay attention to the weather in the Seattle game last week. I made my lineups. It was Christmas. I kind of just, you know, let them go. It was the day after Christmas, but yeah, I made my lineups. And then once the Seattle game, I turn on the TV, I'm like, Oh crap, it's snowing. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. And I had some uh, Seattle, I had Lockett and Metcalf, I think in either one or two of my lineups uh, playing in that, that late slate, but yeah, keep an eye on the weather. <laughs> it does matter at this time of year. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I'm, I'm about good over here. If you guys are. Yeah. Any, any final words of wisdom for, uh, for people in, in redraft championships this week? Yeah. It's not, it's not my forte. So find out how to get Tampa players against the jets on your team. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. I picked up Ronald Jones last week, but then I started Tyler Johnson over him just because I thought that Johnson had a better shot like catching a lot of passes than John, uh, Ronald Jones would have scoring touchdowns. And I ended up losing my, my, in my league in my semi semifinals, but I made the finals in a dynasty league that somebody else runs, but yeah, don't make dumb decisions like starting Tyler Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> well, because my, my brother's team has been a, a, a staple of this podcast. Apparently uh, we got, we got Tom Brady and, and Antonio Brown. So Let's let's rack it up. <laughs> a lot of my dead basketball teams have Antonio Brown. It's it's been really fun. <laughs> uh, well, uh, playoff best ball. They have a twenty five dollar tournament. I was looking at uh, like right before we got on. I was checking underdog to see if they had uh, paid they out a, the haven't advanced yet, and I saw that. So I think I might be interested in that. Yeah, they have like a twenty five and a five dollar one, and then like a two fifty one too. It's been fun. I did like one of those. It's it's definitely just a cool way to think about stuff for sure, like DFS. Yeah, underdog does a good job of of uh, <laughs> they know how to how to market based on our pain. Like <laughs> yeah. when when our teams are all dead and gone, it's like ah, all right, we'll we'll slip this in right here, and everybody will throw money at us. They they even have the afternoon slates for Jess over there. Do they really? Yeah, they have. They the last few weeks they started doing it. It's been this whole year. If I would have just played afternoon slates this whole year and not touched the main slate, I would be wildly profitable. <laughs> and, uh, like, 
I'm just bumping it about probably even for the year, like maybe a little low, a little high, something like that. Like I have no major wins. Like I had, like I've taken, I took a sixth last week in a small tournament, but nothing big, like some of the stuff that our guys are posting in the, the discord. But yeah, if it was just late slates, I'd be good to go. Yeah, I know. I like, I had the takeaway after last year that my strength is short slates and showdowns and sure enough, that's where my high points have been this year. I mean, I, I won a couple small tourneys on main slate, but not nearly enough to make up the losses that I've had on main slate this year. So I, I feel you there. All right, y'all. Well, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. And uh, we hope to see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend. For Lex, for Jess, I'm Ben. See y'all later.